0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Contineros Podcast, Episode 1, with me, Luis Molina. Thanks for tuning in. You know, starting this podcast has has been one of my goals for the longest. The purpose of the podcast is to share the drayage industry with the world. I want to interview people that work in the field to show what that part of the supply chain is all about. Drayage is powered heavily by port truckers and longshoremen. The working class play a huge role in keeping America going. We are the pulse of the economy. As far as making it as a trucking company, owner operator, etc., all the success seems to be hiding behind knowledge. Some big players in the game don't want you to know anything other than enough to get by. If you learn and grow too much, then you won't play a role in building their empires. So develop the knowledge And build your own. We're living in a time where the information, well at least most of it, is there. You just have to dig in and do your research, network, and apply yourself. Maybe I don't know everything but I plan on learning with you one guest at a time. In this episode it is just me, myself, and I sharing a little about myself and how I ended up here. I'm in a hot garage with no AC The door is closed to prevent excessive background noise, cars driving by and whatnot. A mosquito is eating me alive, one bite at a time. And I'm a little nervous, to be honest. But the time to start will never be perfect, so just start. I hope you enjoy it, and thank you for being here. I was born in Fresno, California. I grew up in Orange Cove, California. I never thought I'd end up in trucking. As a kid, I wanted to be a soldier, a police officer. Then at 16, around that age, I watched the movie uh, 8 Mile, and I wanted to be a rapper. I grew up in the project, so I felt I could relate to the struggle and the beauty of coming up. I recorded a a few songs in my room. I'd, I'd actually be in there for hours at a time. Looking back, I think one of the biggest mistakes was sharing, like, big dreams and visions with small-minded people. Um, Too much to where the point that I lost faith in myself and that dream sort of died out. Well, maybe not entirely dead, but just kind of put it on the back burner. Um, I've always loved music. I feel it's therapeutic. It can be an escape. It can be a way to voice how you feel inside and you feel better afterward, it could uplift others. It's very powerful. I know music has been there for me and I know the impact it has. But anyway, life went on. I was in high school at the time. I unfortunately kept getting in trouble there to the point where I got expelled. Ended up in a continuation school. I got my GED before I was 18. Uh, there was a recruiter there that would pull up often for the Army. I I went and did the the ASVAB. I enrolled through the delayed the entry program. See like, back then, I don't know how it is now, you could either be 18 to enlist, or a minor with a GED and parents' consent. That's the route I took. Unfortunately, thanksgiving weekend not thanksgiving weekend it was thanksgiving evening i decided to go out with some friends because monday you know a couple days later i was gonna i was gonna fly out to the basic training so i felt you know i gotta celebrate with the friends with a couple friends before i go and we did just that we went to this uh, abandoned house that was out in the country at the time, where people would just pull up and hang out, bring their own beer. I got in the car with uh, a drunk driver, me and some friends, had an accident, ended up in a a ditch. I was in the back seat with no seatbelt, so the impact made me hit my head on the side of the door. I busted my shit open. Ended up getting airlifted, which, by the way, initially I wanted to be up in a in a Black Hawk, you know, in a helicopter when I went to the army, and the recruiter made it sound like I could get that. So, long story short, I ended up qualifying for something way different. I ended up, uh, my uh, my job was going to be a 13 Fox, which is see, there's infantry. Then there's artillery, and then there is me, which provides coordinates for artillery, at least from what I remember, right? So, yeah, so I definitely got a helicopter ride, just not the way that I envisioned it. After that accident, I had headaches for what felt like a lifetime. I couldn't, I literally couldn't sleep, like, the first week it felt like. It could have been a day or two, but the pain was so much, I couldn't sleep. I'll turn to the left, my head would hurt. If I bent over to pick up something, that was was horrible. I felt like I was spinning. This lasted several months to where I didn't feel it was a, a good fit for me to eventually go to the basic training and all that. So, I don't remember how, but... My my mom helped me get out of it and I never went. Deep down, I just wanted to get out of that town. Uh, it was fueled by many things. I, I had just got my heart broken. I had fallen in love with a woman that was like nearly a decade older than me. Her fear of legal consequences and the fact that she had to keep it a secret and it all like got to her and she decided to call it off. I got dumped, I was angry and what better time to sign up for the army than in the middle of a war. It seemed like the perfect time to unleash my rage. But everything happens for a reason that didn't work out as planned. But still, I was determined to get out of that town. Well, my childhood, I didn't grow up with my dad. We had contact every now and then. I went to Mexico a few times. But around uh, early 2005, we started talking more. He had uh, moved back to the United States. He was in Long Beach. I found out he was trucking. We talked about that. I became interested. I thought I would give it a chance. In my mind at the time, I thought truckers got rich overnight. Like, you just drive around, easy money. I didn't know anything about overhead and fuel costs or none of that. I just, I thought it was all money in. So I made the move. I left Orange Cove, moved to Long Beach, California started tagging along with him grinding gears every now and then when we would get to the yard he would let me practice parking a container i started with 20 footers i i did okay not, not too great eventually i i i wasn't really getting paid for that so eventually i wanted my own money that's when i i started going to the temp agencies a bunch of random jobs i remember uh let's see there's a place we made generators, a place we made tools, I unloaded containers for a while, would come home with the dirty nostrils, black, literally black with all the dust from the cardboard boxes and whatnot. I did Albertsons, that was the last one before I decided to go back and give trucking a shot. There I definitely learned how difficult it can be to keep your cool in customer service where people are disrespecting you and pushing your buttons like I could never understand how some people get off on that I guess they're just miserable or something I don't know Also I forgot to mention that somewhere along that time I had lost my my class C license my regular license I had lost it because I liked going out to the street races I believe that's what further delayed me hopping on the on that CDL so the temp agency jobs and all the part-times and whatnot, they were not cutting it anymore. So I started tagging along again. We would go train uh, next to the 405 on, by the 710 South. I forget the exit. I think it's Santa Fe. There's a giant Indy 500-looking street where you could do laps and learn as you go. Matter of fact, when I drive on the 710 South, I notice people out there practicing every now and then. I would hate that area because every time I would get to the red light, to the stoplight, I wouldn't know how to downshift, and I would always screw up. I would always grind gears. And every time I did, my dad, I remember, he would take his hat off and bam, to the back of the head. You know what I'm saying? So every time I went around that lap, when we came close to that light, I would panic, man. And it got to the point one day where I panicked so bad. That in order to not grind the gear or, or fuck up in downshifting, I, I ran the red light. I literally ran the fucking red light. And after that, my dad's like, you know what? You got to go to trucking school. Because he was missing out too. And I'm thankful he, he was setting time aside to go train me. And I just kept fucking up. So that was that. Got in trucking school. It was a loan, of course. I had to pay it back once I got my license. Every day I would ride my bike from Long Beach Boulevard and PCH to about Eubank and PCH in the city of Wilmington. I went to Harbor Trucking School. Coincidentally, it was right across from the yard where my dad parked his truck at the time. This was by late 2006. I got my license within like a month on the second try. The first try I failed because as soon as we pulled onto the road we went under a bridge the DMV person is like so what was the height of that bridge I didn't know so I failed we drove back I got my license in early December 2006 I got a job within the first week hauling loads out of the ports the first truck I ever drove for someone was a 1994 Peterbilt 377. I was fresh out of trucking school with my fake insurance on my visor, pulling my triaxle to get loaded in Fresno. I would make about $150 a trip. So, when you go from making $250 a week after taxes more or less to now making 750 to 900 a week, you think you're rich. My first trip ever was an interesting one because I had just taken out an empty from the port. I was driving to Fresno to load it up with scrap metal. When I hit that on-ramp, I was so busy with focusing on not hitting the cars next to me with the tractor that I forgot all about the trailer or the container, whatever you want to call it, right? I, it was one of those on-ramps where it's like a U-turn to get on. So there goes my the, the chassis axle, the front part of it, hitting the on-ramp, removing like half of the weld. Next thing you know, I'm on the freeway. I look in the mirror, the right-hand side, I can see the container traveling in the shoulder. So I'm going like sideways. So I literally hopped on the freeway, right? Only to hop off at the nearest off ramp drove that shit back to the terminal in gated it dropped it on wheels and left I called it a day so that was my first experience literally made no money that day and took an empty out for a spin just for the fuck of it i was there like six months eventually i quit and started doing some local stuff got tired of going to fresno every day Where I was before, it was a lot of exports, and at the time, I didn't know the difference with exports and imports, how imports, sometimes you wait way longer to get your load, where with export, you usually come in, get the load removed, go to your spot, get your empty, and get out. It's a whole different scenario. So these other jobs that I ended up driving for people at, they were mostly imports, and I didn't really like it. Also, there was one scenario where this guy was supposed to train me on the route and whatnot. But apparently, since he thought I was going to end up in the truck that he was driving, when we got back, he told the boss that I was a horrible driver, that I drove reckless, and that I was speeding. When the whole time, he was in the sleeper chilling and telling me to haul ass because we got to make it back before a certain time. like The sooner we finish, the sooner we go home and all that other bullshit. Then he just turned around and talked shit. So that was a little hater experience I had. And, and by then, this was like two months of hopping around different companies. So like around August 2007, I quit trucking. And I, I got involved in a new gig that consisted of some... Illegal activity allegedly which eventually led me to an addiction to meth So basically in the middle of 2007 all the way through like the early part of 2009. There was No trucking activity for me Although I was able to exit the gig upon the birth of my daughter Alexis in July 2008 I doubled down on my drug use. I I had made good money, so regular jobs, they, they felt like a joke to me. So I spent the next year and a half or so getting high and making some moves here and there just to support the habit. Eventually, I had nothing. Little by little, I kept downgrading. I had started off with nice cars, a little bit of money saved up. I would sell one, downgrade to another one. Eventually... I didn't have shit. So I was forced to make a decision. I decided to get away and give trucking one more chance. And we moved back to Long Beach. If I'm not mistaken, this was around like October 2009. It definitely made a big impact moving away from all all the people and that circle of of influence that I had at the time. Uh, I always knew where to get it, who had it. And it was easy for me to get high and keep that, keep that shit going. So moving here and not knowing anyone that can supply me, it it really helped me, help, help, it, it helped me quit for a while. Like it was pretty much cold turkey, but I'm still blessed to this day that I didn't like freak out. Like I would think I should have based on the cold turkey, you know, process, but I hopped right into it. I got here. I hopped on my dad's two thousand two Columbia. It was perfect timing because this uh clean truck program was coming into effect soon and my dad had already made the transition. He was already on one of the leased trucks. So he told me the Columbia I was set to pay five hundred a month. Eventually I was buying it for ten grand, but I believe someone uh paid twelve thousand in full. So that was a better move for him, so he sold it, I hopped out of it, and by December 2009, I hopped on my own, I leased my own truck, that's when I got the red uh, T-800, the Kenworth T-800, the lease was about 290 a week, with the option to buy after 5 years, at like forty grand. and I would like to share with you that although the the figures and the timeline, may not be exact, the story is real and I'm sharing this to the best of my ability, okay? There was a time when I named my pipe, so maybe I could have forgot a few things along the way, so bear with me, (laughs) okay? So, back to this trucking thing, right? The clean truck program, I came back into the picture. During this time, a bunch of owner-operators had trucks of their own, paid off already, perfectly running trucks. They were just a little old. So there comes this program, and all the companies that have capital felt it was a perfect opportunity to secure drivers and keep them exclusive to them. They bought the trucks cash, around a hundred to a hundred and twenty thousand, and then they proceeded to to get these owner-operators that were vulnerable because they couldn't afford to pay a truck cash. They had their old truck, so they would come at him and say, hey, you know, your truck's not gonna be good in the ports anymore, why don't you hop on this new truck, you lease it from me, and on top of that, I'm gonna give you 10,000 for your old truck because it's no good. So a lot of guys fell for that, they hopped in the new truck, they went from an owner-operator to an owner-operator, with debt. You know, these were owner-operators that had their trucks paid off. Not only that, they got ripped off by the companies. Because these companies then turned around and gave those old trucks up in exchange for the $50,000 grant. So, they were profiting 40000 per truck. And the guys, because they didn't know, they missed out on that. The few guys that knew about it, they went out on their own. And they, they had the nice Peter Peterbiltz. They had... Options because they they knew what to do, but not everyone had the same luck For me coming in with nothing. It was a no-brainer. I hopped on that truck, right? Um, My dad I wish I would have known and put him on he could have Picked out a truck and not have to deal with these guys. So very shortly after joining their team I started seeing things like cundina like they call it in spanish Th- there were guys that paid for work you know cundina is like you you buy in to get priority on the good work favoritism you got to pay to play hey but what can i expect from a company that that pulled off that scam you know giving drivers 10k profiting 40k off of their loss uh about 2 years later 2012 i lost the truck And all the credit to that date was lost. All my payments meant nothing. Now then comes a new guy and it's going to start from zero. So the bill starts all over for them. Most of these trucks were sold like five times and paid off way before the five years. In fact, they should have been paid off the first year if the owner-ops would have gotten the full clean truck fee. So anyway, that was that. Uh, For the next two years or so, I I drove at many companies as a driver, of course, got fired, quit some and so on. One time I got fired because they wanted this container so bad at the warehouse. And I made it out before lunch, right? It was like I made it out like literally like 1145. I was already exiting the terminal. So I figured that I could have gotten stuck. So why not celebrate? I stopped. And got me a burger, because in order to get there on time, because they were rushing me, I skipped breakfast. So I had been there a minute, I was hungry, I was like, shit, I got out on time, I might as well get a burger. So, only to find out that when I get to the yard, and I got that burger to go, just know that, I got it to go. I got to the yard, and the the boss, he asked me for the keys. So, I didn't argue about it, I just gave him the keys and dipped That's one of the things about being an owner-operator. So if you go and become a driver, you kind of already had an experience of a little bit more freedom and flexibility and no fear of getting fired. You know, like you could be your worst enemy. Like you got to have yourself in check because you could slack off and no one's going to be pushing you. You got to push yourself. But if you're driving for someone, you're always going to have someone breathing down your back, you know, rushing you and whatnot. And you just got to take it. Until you, you stack up and make that move, you know. Uh, there's there's good bosses out there. But some of them just, you know, they're, they're not cool, man. They're disrespectful. They don't value the drivers. They think you're a fucking robot, you know. So those type of bosses, fuck you guys. Those really be the, the ones looking for new drivers like every other week. You get what you put out. You treat your drivers with respect and you value their time. You're going to get some loyal ones. But there's also drivers that are fucking lazy, so on both ends, there's pros and cons, but just generally speaking, you treat them good, they're gonna be loyal, and put in work for you, you can't be a hater though, eventually those drivers are gonna have to move up, if they, if that's their goal, there's there's some guys that they don't wanna see the drivers leave ever, it's like, why are you gonna be an owner out, bro, I got enough work for you, it's a headache, but if that's the case, then how come they didn't stay a driver, you know, most wanna see you too good, just not better than them although i had a a bad experience or should i say many bad experiences during this period i'm thankful that towards the end like uh what is it uh 2000 early 2014 that's when Containeros came to life and it it was simple it just started with sharing how the terminals were doing inside because at the time the terminals they'll look empty on the cameras we would use a uh, peer trucker to check the cameras and we would be misled by the fact that it looked empty to enter so we would go next thing you know you're inside and there's fucking lines for days so i started a facebook group where i would post pictures of how the terminals were inside and then slowly little by little people started joining and before you knew it, it was this little community. We're all, like, posting the conditions and whatnot. At uh, some point, we would have meetings. We would hang out. Um, we got to meet a lot of other truckers in our area. And we had, you know, this this thing in common that we want to have a good experience at the terminals and make money, hang out with like-minded individuals, all that good stuff. We were pretty deep. And then eventually one of the members mentioned that his cousin made decals and he came through with some decals and we started passing them out at the meetings next thing you know the trucks have him and we felt this this sense of a brotherhood when you see someone with that decal you know we're going to let him in we're going to help him out if we see him stranded anywhere that's part of our clique our little club you know so but over time like there were different views and uh, you could say there was different leadership evolving within the group and other people started making their own groups and next thing you know there's like 12 groups of port related stuff like that and it's it just started growing where like now people were proud to be container holders it was an industry that you were glad to be a part of unfortunately looking back at it I don't think I was ready for leadership I was already using again I would fucking get high at these meetings I would go in the restroom do my thing Uh, eventually just get drunk and be obnoxious Uh, lost focus of what the meetings were about it was just started like just making it a drinking thing and slowly I upped my my intake in cocaine by then I wasn't using meth but I started with cocaine again and honestly I didn't really see it like a problem because I would only do it on the weekends or At the meetings or at parties but I didn't know I was in for some interesting years ahead of me so the Facebook group kind of took a a mind of its own at the time people were just doing their own thing on there and it remained a community but I wasn't really that active for some time I switched over and started uh, posting more on Instagram and that's when I started growing my Instagram account and here we are now basically that's how I came in contact with social media, but back to the the timeline here late twenty fourteen I went back to that same company and i that's when I ended up with the black truck that I nicknamed six sick pup s i k p u p and um this was actually a nickname given to me by one of the coworkers and I just went with with that as a custom plate, so then everybody thought. That's the nickname of the truck because it's on the truck, but it was really the nickname of the driver. But anyway, got tired of explaining it and I just adopted that as the nickname of the truck, and that's how Sick Pup came to be. So, 2014 through 2017, I was there, but I was also doing pirata work, which is when you still have the company you're leased to, you have their placards on your truck but you go haul for someone else. You know. Uh that's what they call a pirata. Cuz I already knew their ways. I knew that when they starved me out, I knew what I had to do. I was already a little more seasoned. I I had heard things, you know, in the community. So even though I even got a check one time for a dollar and 85 cents there, but that's cuz I was making the money elsewhere. I would just stay there long enough to cover the payment of the truck. And the rest of the week, I was out there helping anyone that had um, good pain loads that paid me the same week or even the same day. The drug use kind of got a little more, it came more often. I I already knew a few tricks here and there that anytime, anyone in the office doesn't want shit to do with you. They're not going to call you to see how your day is doing. So anytime they called you, hey, you mind coming to the office real quick? You already knew what's up. So you just ignored it, and you said you were on your way, never show up, and the, every company has to have a list of runner-ups, so one of the, for the drug test, for the random drug test, so if one person doesn't show that day, they they just go to the next one, that it's a little more complicated now to where it leads to a refusal, and a, a refusal is automatic uh, failure, but that's how I would do it, I, if, if they called me, I knew they were up to something, I, I just never... You know, if they didn't tell me what it was about, I'm not refusing a drug test because you're not telling me. So I never fell for that. I'm lying. I fell for it once, and from there on out, I knew what was up. And, you know, other users, they share stories like how they did it and whatnot. Just, it doesn't help because then you, you find a way to keep doing what you're doing. So... Um, i I loved being my own boss i th- I thought I was the at the top just being an owner up averaging twenty five hundred to thirty five hundred a great week was rare like forty five hundred to fifty five hundred that's that's working two shifts all week like little to no sleep two hours of sleep a day if possible you know T- towards the end of that year there there was rumor of this this um this lawsuit it was a class action lawsuit that some of the co-workers had. One of the co-workers started it, and everyone followed suit. At the time, I didn't know much about misclassification and uh, wage theft, etc. So I didn't know that there's companies or entities out there that manipulate that to their benefit. They all have their own agenda, right? So I'm not going to mention names, but... Some of them are full of shit. So at the time, it was just they're getting sued. This company has done me dirty many times from the start. They did my dad dirty. They did all these drivers dirty. So why not hop on it? And it was either you hop on it or you miss out. So I tried to tell uh, other coworkers about it, to hop on it. Most didn't want to do it for fear of retaliation. And most didn't want to do it because what if if they didn't win? They didn't want to have to spend money on an attorney. I think the fee at the time was like 1500 or 2000 So they didn't want to just give that money up and in the end come out empty-handed and and lose $1,500. So Also, they had to backtrack all their expenses, all their deductions, all these wages that they felt they were ripped off on. For example, clean truck fees were supposed to be $70. We were getting $20. So I added up all my shit. It was like, 70 grand, and the attorney was gonna take about between 25 and 40%, and then um they, af- they offered you the option to, if you wanted to keep the truck, they would have to value it and deduct that amount from your settlement as well. And then whatever's left, they would pay it over the course of two payments. It took like five years to win that, and out of the 70 grand, I was left with like 42 grand. Then they deducted uh, 25 grand, which is what they thought the value of the truck was. So I was left with 17 grand divided by two payments, more or less 8,500 8, each. And that was that. I had a title to this truck, which in the course of five years, doing, doing the math, m- most of these trucks, people paid 550000 into them in those five years. Based on the wages stolen, right? It would be a smaller number if if you go based on what they gave us. The clean truck fee was $70, but they would only give us $20. They said we had to get 15 loads done a week, which is the quota, so that the truck could pay for itself, quote-unquote, right? And $150 a week in insurance. They had like 100 trucks. And later I found out only like 50% of them were covered or insured. They would just switch around the the VIN numbers. Depending who had an accident, they would update that and go from there. Overweight fees, we wouldn't get paid if we didn't bill it. So the clean truck money of $20 per load versus 70 per load was convenient for them because this only generated fifteen grand a year and in five years seventy six grand more or less. That's how you ended up with the remaining balance of forty grand to buy it after five years. Now if you went the seventy dollars per load route, that would put you at about fifty four thousand six hundred and these scenarios are with a minimum of fifteen loads a week. Meaning that in this case, the truck would have been paid off in a little over two years. In five years, we're looking at over a quarter million. And that's with the 15 loads minimum. Most guys did double that. Most guys didn't haul for no one else. Most guys were loyal and stayed there from year one all the way to the end. So these guys worked their ass off for five years based on a deception, right, when they could have gone elsewhere and got their own truck with their own grant money they do these five years and at the end of it all they still owe the company 40 racks like come on man that shit ain't right and for this reason i jumped on the case i was just glad to be a part of the karma process so yeah mid mid 2019 i get i get the title to the truck Twenty nineteen, it was uh, mixed emotions, man. I, I got arrested twice, but also I was blessed with my baby girl Victoria. Um, when I got arrested, that put me, you know, it set me back big time. I spent about ten grand in attorney fees. I was already behind on, on other shit. I had like debt of like ten grand in diesel at one of the companies I was helping out. Uh, this resulted in me getting a title loan I got eight grand and it was 700 a month the payment after two months in I realized I'm never gonna pay this shit off man so I had to come up with something fast I came up with a plan to sell it even though I didn't have the title anymore I I reached out to the person that I owed the 10 grand to I'm like dude I know I owe you this money here's the situation if you could help me out, I think it'll be a win-win for us. And thank God he was open to actually buying the truck for me. So I sold it to him for twenty-five grand. He paid the eight grand to the title loan place, deducted the the ten grand that I owed him, minus some other debt that I had. I think parking fees and whatnot. I was left with three thousand dollars cash, and no truck. So I started off the year with no truck but I was able to kill two birds with one stone. It could have been way worse. It could have been to the point where I couldn't pay the loan off and I lose the truck and I still owe the 10 grand, so it all worked out. I think sometimes we go through dark times and it's easy for for us to want to give up and, and feel like there's no light at the end of the tunnel, but I promise you, you just gotta hold on because you never know what's around the corner. Here's this scenario. This happened. It was – so I start the year with no truck. This is around the time that we had Cotinero Society going on, right? We had a meeting. And through that meeting, I met someone who who loaned me $37,000 cash without even knowing me, just based on on him following me for a while, getting a feel for me and whatnot. And I was blown away. I was like, are you serious, dude? Like He's like, why not? I I just – I just sold the house, I have the money just sitting there, and why not? And I was like, whoa, unbelievable. So, by the way, Contenero Society, that that was an attempt at an association, but unfortunately it didn't work out, and COVID hit, and there were no no public gatherings allowed, and it just didn't work out. It died out. So back to the loan. Uh, Since then, I was able to bring that down to 25 grand, right? Before selling the truck, I reached out to him. I'm like, bro, like, I think it's right that I ask you, hey, are you okay with me doing that? Because the purpose of the loan was to save the truck and how am I gonna sell it and not give you your cut? So he's like, bro, I know what you're going through. Just take care of of your family. And don't worry about nothing right now. And I offered him that realistically I could give him ten grand, and that's what I did. So, you know, I sold the truck for thirty-two. I was blessed to sell it for twelve thousand more than what I got it for, and I feel that was fair because I, I invested a lot of money into that truck in time. So it all worked out. From that thirty-two k, I was able to give him ten grand. Now I only owe him fifteen of the 37 grand looking back i've always been blessed and i'm extremely thankful for that even though sometimes i I take it for granted it seems and i don't see it at the moment upon further reflection i do definitely realize i'm blessed and and that's why i always try to like pay it forward i try to to give back because shit always works out for me i just want to be of service to someone and help someone make it happen for themselves as well I know what it feels like to be going through some shit also had a friend let me use his own authority for a little over a year when I wasn't doing good at the company I was leased on to like these blessings just come and the least I can do is is pay it forward like I said I don't want to sound like a broken record but when you're when you're feeling helpless just get helpful and it just Works out eventually just know that it'll work out in the end everything will be okay get positive and get going keep moving forward like don't allow the negativity to just consume you right because it's really easy for that shit to take over if you let it do not let that happen there is light at the end of the tunnel I know this for a fact mid 2019 got my own authority I teamed up with two other partners someone owed one of them a favor And they hooked us up with the authority for free. I uh, knew we had to do the clearinghouse. My truck was the one registered to the own authority. So I would be the one that had to go do the drug test and whatnot to get enrolled in all that FMCSA crap. So I laid off the powder a bit just enough to get a positive test for my own authority and whatnot. After that, I was back to my old ways. At this point, I was using more often, I was actually using to get going on the trips. I was, like I said earlier, it was mostly weekends, special events, and now it was every other day to where sometimes I forgot what day it was or I'll go hard as fuck like Monday through Wednesday and then the rest of the week, I'll just disappear. Uh, Going back to when I started losing control of it was that every Friday the, the, at the old yard, people would hang out, have some beers. There were some ladies that would come and, and cook food outside for the truckers because they knew it was payday. They'd come through and, and secure the bag, you know. I remember that. That's I, I think that's when I started fucking up because I would have, for example, a load to deliver early in the morning on Saturday. But I, I would start getting fucking... Getting drunk and high at 9 p.m., 6 p.m. Friday. Next thing you know, I'm up all night. It's 5 a.m. I can't fucking fall asleep. And 5.30 a.m., I got to start driving down to San Diego for an 8 o'clock appointment. You know, shit like that. Like, that's when it was, like, starting to become a problem. It was a conflict within my work. It was affecting my productivity. Man, it's horrible, like, being like that. All paranoid when you pass the scale, you don't know if they're going to stop you and, and look at your fucking creepy eyes, your sweaty face, looking all fucking pale and shit. Fuck that, man. I remember that, and it just gives me the chills. So, Contineros had the own authority. We had an office. Eventually, it didn't work out. I tried to hold on as long as I could, but I was drinking a lot. It didn't help. Eventually I lost the office, made a twenty twenty one. I I'd go, you know, my depression kicked in hard, man. Like it just felt like all the failures were adding up. It just didn't feel like I was any good at anything. I'd literally go to the office and just stare at the fucking wall. Um and drink. Then towards the end I was just like doing lines off the desk like not giving a fuck once i you know um once i i lost the office i i had to give it up right cuz it wasn't working out i i i moved it to to the house and that day i i cried man i cried i cried in the office once i was done packing everything i had a little flashback of when i first looked at the office when it was empty And all the goals and dreams that I had. Um, When I looked at it. You know. And. So. That was hard for me. I left. Feeling lost. And more depressed than ever. Feeling fake. Feeling like. Imposter syndrome was kicking in. I kept taking L's. I I failed the new entrant audit. I wanna give you guys a tip on that. <laughs> when you register your authority, whatever information is given to FMCSA, like a contact information, your email, phone number, just know that when it comes close to a year of being in business, they're gonna reach out to you and wanna schedule an appointment and talk to you about your business, ask you a few questions of your about your operation and whatnot if they call you 3 times if you don't answer that phone or, or get back to the email on the third attempt they put you out of service luckily uh, i i answered the phone and on the second attempt they said so they uh, they sent me all the info and all the requirements all the stuff i had to submit the hours of service and i procrastinated you know i was busy procrastinating i would finish early from work and i just go to the bar then once i'm already past that point when i get that buzz i start craving the cocaine and next thing you know the due date is here the the chp officer is calling me and last last thing i know i get an email you know unfortunately I, i i couldn't pass you You're going to get this in the mail saying why, or he sent an email saying why and what I had to do. Eventually, I paid someone to to fix that for me. But next came the, um, the actually, because I was put out of service, so for like a month, I had to be leased on to someone. So I just kept like backtracking, you know, taking steps back. Then I tried again. That's when most of you saw me like actually paint my numbers onto my doors. Like that symbolized like permanent, you know, like that I was in it for the long term that I was going to make it work. But I failed the CHP audit where they go to the terminal as well. Uh, I had a maintenance issue on my truck. I had a, a air leak at the on the steer, the ABS valve, and that. Is how I failed the CHP terminal inspection. By this point, I'm fucking annoyed and I'm just drinking more than ever. Like, if the shift ends early, like, for some reason I can't engage the load, I park that shit and drive to the fucking bar. Then get home hammered, get home bust, or might not even get home, fucking disappear again. So, uh, October 20th, it was one of those days where I ended my shift early and decided to go out for drinks. Next thing you know, it's 1 a.m. October 21st, and I'm in jail with my first DUI. Uncertain of how much time I'm going to do once I talk to the judge because this was clearly a a violation of my probation for the crimes from 2019. Eventually, I, I sold the truck. Surprisingly, I didn't cry. I felt peace, like I felt like it had to happen, like a part of me needed a break, like staying busy and ignoring the problem was not helping me heal. I've been clean since November 4th, 2021. For how long? I don't know. I've quit many times. And what I want to tell you is that if you're going through something like this, just never quit quitting. The day will come. The lesson just keeps repeating itself until you get it through your school that something has to be done. You can't keep doing the same shit and expect a different outcome. For the time being, I need to fix all the shit I've fucked up, work on myself, and focus on building something for my family. Shit, all this was probably a blessing in disguise. You know, i I'd been procrastinating about a podcast. For the longest. Plus tons of other things. Plus I've been in trucking long enough to. To maybe find something else to do within the industry. There's dispatch tech companies. Related to trucking. There's brokerage. Recruitment and more. You know. So for now the the truck sale has, has bought me some time. To be able to. To think. And plan ahead. And also to comply with the Caltrans days that I was ordered to do back in 2019, which I had held off on because of COVID. It was closed. They just opened up in July. So technically, I've been slacking off a little over three months, right? And um, so I have like six days left of that. And I have an additional 60 days that I got to complete at a community service center. I don't know where I'm going to end up yet. Just waiting on that letter and um, the sale of the truck, it it may seem unfortunate, but it it really helped me out. Like I said, Um, I was able to get this podcast gear with that money, secure a a couple months rent money. I just want to inspire and motivate others. I want to succeed in my sobriety. Looking back, all my problems stemmed from addiction. Like I thought it couldn't happen to me until it was too late and I had made a big mess with my life. So that's that. With this podcast, I want to bring the H community together and share how good it has been to me. I loved how I can be me. I can have my tattoos. I can be myself. I can dress however I want. I have the freedom. Had the community of other truckers to support me, and I could support them. We make good money, and this provides a chance to build a business for the family. You just have to make the right choices. We all have dreams, and this industry can can definitely help you fulfill them. The opportunity is there. We just need to soak up the knowledge and learn as much as we can about it. Like I said at first, in this podcast, I want to have all types of people from the Drehage industry come and share their perspectives. In this podcast, I want to bring value and share industry gems that can help you win. Hopefully, you make better choices than me the bad ones just set you back. Although I have a year to think about my actions, being deprived of my CDL, I will make the best of it and keep doing what I enjoy through the love of trucking. I want to put as many people on as possible, those that come from nothing like me, those who want to better themselves and provide only the best for their families. Although I have been in my own way I know that trucking can give me the opportunity to build something for myself and family. I hope it can do the same for you. Thank you for listening. That's about all I have for now. And tune in to the next episode of the Contineros Podcast. Thank you.